Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf with the Smart Home Show. Today's conversation is with David McCall of the Open Interconnect Consortium, or OIC. And I met David at CES, and we talked a little bit about what they're doing uh, at CES. The OIC was showing off uh, the device interoperability with uh, in, a, in a suite, showing how things were working together using their software. And just this past week or so, they announced uh, a new release of their IOTivity software, which is their open source framework. And so we're getting nerdy. We're getting deep on this. And one of the things I've definitely I highlighted as one of the trends this year is just the continued progress of interoperability frameworks and the continued focus by big smart home platform players to try to get stuff to work together. Even though folks are competing, they have agendas, one of the things that ultimately has to happen is for all the stuff to work together. And the folks at OIC as well as guys over at Allseen Alliance and in other spaces like OpenHab in Europe are trying to make all the stuff work together. They're doing uh, their best work. And so we talk with, uh, with David and try to understand what they're doing over at OIC, what eventually they're going to do long-term with regards to certification and branding. And uh, that's what this is all about. So if you're in the industry, if you're interested in what's going on around some of the standards, this is the conversation to listen to to try and understand what's going on with OIC. You can read more about the OIC at openinterconnect.org. Find out more about that organization. And as always, you can find more Smart Home Shows at technology.fm. Go there, look for the Smart Home Show, or look for us on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud. Also, I just wanted to mention that I will be at South by Southwest in March. I will be moderating the only Smart Home panel at this huge, monstrous 10-day show. And uh, I have uh, Joe Dada from Insteon, the CEO of Insteon. Uh, I have Leot Benzur, who's with Philips. She used to be with All Seen, All Join Alliance, and with Qualcomm, she's now with Philips. And I also have Mike Susi, who was with Revolves, now with Nest. And we'll be talking all things smart home. So if you are going to South by Southwest, we'll have more information about that at nextmarket.co. Just go to Smart Home Weekly. And I'm also looking to put together a smart home mixer at South by Southwest. I thought it'd be fun for a couple hours to get everyone in the smart home industry going to South by Southwest to get together, have some beers, talk about what's going on. And maybe we can bridge some of these divides we're seeing because this idea of interoperability, open networks and, 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 and smart home, maybe we could practice that in the form of having a couple beers together and get some stuff going and some conversation going. So, uh, keep an eye out for that. Go to nextmarket.co. We'll have more information. And if you're interested in sponsoring the event, I'm probably going to get a sponsor. Email me. Email me at thesmarthomeshow at gmail.com, and we can have a great conversation about that. Hey, everyone. Once again, thanks for listening. My name is Michael Wolf, and here's my conversation with John McCall of the OIC. So I'm happy to have David McCall from the Open Interconnect Consortium. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks very much for having me. So how did you get involved with the OIC? Well, I guess it goes back about five years. Um, I was with a company called ConnectSoft that Intel acquired in 2011, and we'd already been working on connectivity frameworks there. And a lot of what we're contributing into OIC originates with that technology. 
And it is an organization that you helped put together. You recruited, recruited a lot of the original founding members. So talk a little bit about that process and kind of the early days. Sure. So uh, around the, the end of 2013, beginning of 2014, we started talking to various other companies about exactly what was needed to make the Internet of Things happen from a connectivity point of view. And we got together initially with Samsung um, and then recruited others uh, such as MediaTek and uh, Cisco. Um, and from there, we grew, we grew out the organization. Uh, now, the, the basic premise we had was that connectivity is hard, particularly for developers, and we're going to need a lot of applications and services built that would talk to uh, the wide variety of devices that's emerging from the Internet of Things. And we needed to make that connectivity really simple um, and make it basically as simple for a developer as it is for them to connect from a, an application running on a phone, tablet, or PC to a server in the cloud. So that fundamentally is really what OIC is all about. And you talked about uh, being involved with connectivity frameworks for a while. And it's interesting to me because there, you know, I think to the, the layperson or the person looking kind of from the outside – it's a confusing jumble of acronyms and, and different uh, you know frameworks. I mean, if you look at you mentioned Samsung, they they themselves must be members of three or four different, uh, I guess, uh, consortiums or whatever around this. Um, you talked about Cisco; they did a, they've done a joint venture with Bosch, which you know Bosch's work uh, around uh, creating software frameworks for the IoT is pretty well known in Europe. Talk a little bit about this. I mean, it seems like people, a lot of companies are being promiscuous in a way, and they're joining lots of different organizations. Some of them seem overlapping. So can you kind of suss that out for us a little bit? I think you're right that from the outside, it can look very confusing, but also from the inside. I mean, to be honest, there's there's so much going on in this space that it can be hard to keep track. Um, and we're coming from a, a history of where a lot of people were developing very vertically integrated solutions or solutions that were focused on particular aspects of connectivity. And what we're seeing with the Internet of Things is that a lot of these devices that previously were living in somewhat isolated ecosystems um, are going to need to start to talk to each other. Uh, so you see that being done sometimes piecemeal. You know, A couple of organizations will get together um, or you'll establish a, um, some kind of partnership that would address a particular market. Um, but what we're really trying to do with OIC is take a slightly broader view. If you view the world right now as um, a series of sort of villages or towns or cities uh, that aren't really connected very well, OIC is targeting to build the, the interstate highway system um, to get these things bridging and talking to each other uh, and make that easy to use for the people who are actually building the applications. So it, it's it's really uh, about uh, providing a, a, a solution that reaches across all of these different technologies and also across the different vertical markets. Okay, so I want to, if we could, just talk a little bit about some of the, the existing software connectivity frameworks that have been there historically and then how you guys, if you're building on any of these um, or you're completely different. And, and maybe just for uh, the purposes of just educating the market a little bit, you know, where you go beyond that or where you sit in the stack relative to these. So I know that, you know, universal plug and play uh, has been around for a while for discovery purposes. How do you guys sit relative to them? Are you, are you bridging or, or developing with anything with, with universal plug and play? One of the unique things about OIC is that we take a very inclusive 
attitude to a lot of the different connectivity standards. Um, so certainly the framework that we're building would be able to talk to uh, UPnP devices by what we would call a protocol plug-in. Um, but that's only one part of what we're doing. And if you look at something like UPnP, for example, it only runs over IP. It really discovers, uh, right, right. I know it's a little bit long, but it, it's mainly about discovering devices on a, a local IP network. Um, so that might work over Wi-Fi or Ethernet or HomePlug or any other uh, IP system. But we're designing our framework to work, yes, over local IP, uh, but also over Bluetooth or BLE or um, Zigbee, which are non-IP transports, uh, or over Z-Wave, or indeed to provide connectivity across um, different uh, private networks, so that what we call remote access, uh, which involves uh, issues of NAT traversal and dealing with firewalls. The point is that from a developer point of view, um, all of those really sh are very similar. They're just setting up connections between devices. And uh, at an abstracted level, they don't really need to know the difference between them. They can just you know, find out who they can talk to and ask for a connection to be set up to that device, that application. And the framework can take care of the details. So the application developer and ultimately the end user doesn't necessarily need to know or uh, care about the details of the connectivity. When you stood and looked around and you looked at things like UPnP and, and OSGI is another one that I, I've seen leverage in, in Europe more more so than in the U.S., was this something that you tried to do a kind of a lay of the land? I mean, and certainly in your work before you joined OIC, before Intel acquired you guys, was it an important part to kind of understand what these other frameworks are doing and kind of where you could fill some holes? Yeah, we, we did have a look around at other organizations that um, were maybe doing uh, pieces of uh, what we believed was necessary to succeed. But there were three aspects, I think, of um, the Open Internet Connect Consortium that uh, set it apart a little bit. First of all, is that inclusive attitude to connectivity. Um, secondly, there's the, uh, the structure of the organization in that we are producing both a standard, i.e. a specification and a certification program, as well as having an associated open source project. So they, those two together is uh, unusual. Um, and just building an organization that can handle both of those uh, has, its, has some of its own challenge, which I believe we've met quite effectively. Uh, so on the one hand, with the standard, that's really required if you're going to go successfully across multiple vertical markets. So um, it maybe isn't quite as necessary in someone like the, uh, the home environment, but certainly when you look at areas such as health or automotive, there are actually regulatory issues there, and it's very difficult to approach those if you only have an open source project. Um, but on the other hand, if, if all you have is a standard, then you're not really delivering what the developers need. So the open source project is the way of actually getting code into the hands of the people who are going to build the applications and build the devices. And then thirdly, um, all of this is built with a uh, patent policy which is designed for the long term. Um, and that's something which uh, for a lot of the, the larger companies who've uh, dealt with issues in 3G and Wi-Fi uh, is equally important. And talk about that. I mean, I think the, you, the Apache license is what you guys have, and you see that as a differentiator from others in the market, in particular all seen. Yeah, that would be accurate. Um, the Apache license is basically gives you the best patent protection you can get in an open source project, um, whereas all seen uh, has the ISC license, uh, which only covers copyright. 
Um, there's no patents, uh, mention of patents in the, the license that that grants you. Uh, and then on, additionally, that's for people who use the open source project, but uh, for members of the OIC organization that certify their products, they also benefit from a, a RAND-Z uh, patent cross-licensing. And RAND-Z is reasonable and non-discriminatory with zero royalties. So essentially, um, the relevant patent uh, claims are cross-licensed between all members, and um, that prevents any uh, issues of royalties coming up, at least between the members of the organization. I think I jumped in pretty fast and furious, but I want to step back um, and and maybe have you explain a little bit about the OIC and what you guys are doing, because you have, like you said, you started to go down the road where you talk about the standard a little bit, but the OIC is broader than that. You guys are going to have some testing and certification. So maybe kind of talk about holistically what you guys are doing, and then maybe we could dive a little bit into some of the specifics on each. Okay, sure. So backing all the way up, um, we see the organizations, the companies involved within OIC, we see the Internet of Things as a huge opportunity. We've got to the point where uh, the cost of compute power and the cost of communications is low enough now that we can start putting it into light bulbs and other devices that 20 years ago would seem like crazy. Um, so we're going to have this explosion of the number of devices, not just because we're going to gain new things, but the things that you're already buying are going to get a little bit smarter and a little bit connected. You're going to have a lot more data, a lot more control points, and just the issues of how you manage that and build the applications and services that are going to take advantage of it um, come to the fore. What we're trying to do is... Um, enable the market and remove this this potential point of friction uh, by delivering a framework that can take care of discovery, connectivity, device management, and the levels of security and identity that needs to span all three of those. So that's the goal, um, to make this... Uh, something that developers and device manufacturers can pick up and use and provide the interoperability uh, across different manufacturers, uh, across different vertical markets, and between smart devices, um, smart device to smart device, and also between the, the things and the wearables themselves, and then the wearables and things talking to smart devices and also their interactions with the uh, any cloud services. So the, the scope is very broad, but the basic idea is is simply that when you're writing an application or you're developing one of these devices, if you're a developer, then things remain consistent no matter what the underlying transport is. Um, you don't have to, as a developer and ultimately as an end user, have to deal with the complexities of, am I talking to Bluetooth? Am I talking to Wi-Fi Direct? Am I talking via the cloud? Am I on the same local IP network? The framework just takes care of all of that. Because right now, without a framework, we're asking developers to first of all, understand a lot of the complexities of each of those individual transports and then have to make some choices about which ones they support, and that necessarily limits the available market they can address. And you guys announced IOTivity, and that has basically been released, I think, for into what I maybe is beta the term? What, what would you say? We call that a preview release. A preview release, okay. <laughs> so the, the specification itself um, we expect to have out in the first half of this year. Um, what we have right now is the open source code. So IOTivity itself is a, a standalone 
open source project. It's hosted by the Linux Foundation. It has its own separate governance, uh, which is run on the best practices um, of a very meritocratic uh, way. Um, it is sponsored by OIC, which basically means OIC is funding it. Um, and its remit is to produce a reference implementation of the OIC specification. It's not limited to just doing that. It can do other things, but that, that's the main job. Um, and then on the, the flip side, the, the standard, uh, if anything, is going to be mandatory in, in the specification, then there needs to be open source code available uh, in the IOTivity project. Uh, for, for any feature to be in any way mandatory. So we keep these two things tied together, but uh, people can go to iotivity.org uh, right now and have a look at the code repository, um, get the nightly builds, get the, the latest stable builds, uh, and they can take and use that code under the Apache 2.0 license. And they're also free to contribute back into the project as well. You don't need to be a member of OIC in order to do that. Um, so that's that's what exists right now, and that project actually went live uh, just before uh, the Christmas holidays, um, and we announced it last week. Uh, the reason we had a bit of a soft launch there was there's not a lot of press going on over Christmas, and then, of course, we have CES. Um, so we, we felt that it was better to announce it after that and avoid some of the noise from uh, all of the announcements at CES. And so companies uh, can have access to open source code um, but if they want to get certified, for example, and, and kind of be part of your, your certification program, they'll have to uh, align themselves with what the specification is? Right. Now, the the IOTivity code, um, as designed as a, a reference implementation, it should be very easy to pick up that code sure. and get the certification. But uh, if you want to participate in setting the direction of the OIC specification, or you want to benefit from the, the certification program, which we expect to be uh, starting in the middle of the year, uh, then yes, you need to become an OIC member, you need to get your device certified, and that's when you will also get the benefits of the, um, the patent cross-licensing between the organizations, which gives a higher level of protection than you get from just the Apache 2.0 license. Talk about what certification means. I mean, are we looking at a consumer-facing brand that they will recognize, you know, akin to something like Wi-Fi or DLNA? Um, I mean, is this something you guys actually expect that consumers will hopefully look at packaging and feel like a, a level of comfort knowing that it's OIC certified and, and it interoperates with other OIC or IOTivity certified devices? Um, there will be some kind of a brand associated with OIC. Um, we're discussing at the moment with various members who actually have the most knowledge about this um, in terms of shipping end products, exactly what that brand should look like. Um, one of the issues we have or challenges uh, with communicating exactly the value that OIC is delivering is that we could be working on a Bluetooth-only device and we can be working on a Wi-Fi-only device. And those two devices aren't necessarily going to talk directly to each other. They might communicate via a third device that has both of those. Um, but we need to make sure that the, the value that OIC adds is uh, clearly understood by the consumer. Otherwise, you can uh, end up actually causing issues. Um, so, yes, there will be a brand, but we'll be announcing the details of that uh, later once we've got all the feedback from our members about exactly what it should look like. And you bring up an interesting point. I mean, there's going to be different network architectures within each <laughs> scenario, right? The consumer scenario in a point-to-point -point solution versus a kind of whole home uh, or kind of internet-connected solution. So is this something that you're going to have to define um, 
and, and then have kind of a different, I guess, profiles for? I mean, I don't know if I'm getting too in the weeds here, but I mean, that's an interesting point they bring up. Yeah, the, there are a lot of uh, interesting questions that arise when you start trying to bridge these these ecosystems and the technologies. Um, I think it remains to be seen exactly uh, how that's, that's managed, but we will definitely be doing um, some of that. And the question of what we actually have in terms of profiles, I think the, the bigger issue there is um, how we represent individual devices. Um, you know, what does a light bulb look like within our defined resource model? Um, and obviously, there are many other devices. How do we standardize on the attributes and the, the properties of these devices? Um, and there are generally the OIC approach is that we're not reinventing the wheel. Um, so we're looking to make use of um, the work that other organizations have already done. Um, we are setting up various liaisons with uh, organizations that have done some of that work. Um, one example uh, would be that when we communicate over a local network, we're really just using CoAP, um, which is a, a good standard for communicating with constrained devices over an IP network. Um, that's not something we developed. Um, we're just picking up and using it. So that's a similar approach that we'd take to uh, a lot of other interoperability issues. What about some of the, the I guess, the I guess closed ecosystems um, like HomeKit and works with Nest? I mean, are you guys uh, talk having conversations with folks? I mean, do you, do you guys see yourself or see them maybe adopting what the work, some of the work you're doing? Well, we're we're having conversations with I think just about everybody who's involved in this space. Um, so I'm really not at liberty to talk about anyone in specifics, um, but uh, I think that. If we're successful, then yes, the standard uh, resource model that we're proposing would be common across a lot of different um, individual implementations. Uh, now, whether a company like Apple would, would get aligned with that or not, I'm not entirely sure. Apple certainly has a lot of power to develop their own uh, essentially proprietary ecosystem. Um, so maybe they won't, maybe they won't for a while. Um, but I think for Largely outside of Apple, I think everybody generally reckons that they're going to have to talk with everybody else. Um, I think you've talked about that a little bit on your, your podcast in the past, especially just recently, um, that people up to now have been building individual uh, devices that would talk to that device's app, that would talk to that device's uh, cloud component. And now they're looking at how we avoid the situation where if you've got six IoT devices in your home, you're going to have six apps on your phone as well to, to manage each individually. Um, how do you make this all work together? And that ultimately is what uh, OIC is really all about. When can I expect as a consumer to see um, OIC compliant products in the market, buy it, at, buy it at the store? Is this something you guys expect in 2015? Yes. Um, now, I, I mentioned this in um, a little bit earlier, but we have uh, this very inclusive approach to connectivity. Um, so while it is entirely possible to build a uh, complete set of devices just using OIC code running over various different radios and transports, uh, we also have this ability to have plugins. Um, these would really only work on the, the smarter devices, the phones, tablets, the PC, something with a bit more horsepower in terms of computing and memory. But uh, those plugins allow you to pull in um, 
resources from other devices into the OIC framework and then just use the standard OIC APIs to talk to those devices. So at CES, for example, we were demonstrating in the OIC suite the ability for an app on a phone to talk to some devices that were um, running OIC native code, uh, some gateways that were running OIC native code, which would then talk to um, non-OIC devices, and then also using these plugins that were actually running on the phone, talking directly to some non-OIC devices. So there's a variety of ways we can communicate with this broad uh, array of these different ecosystems. And I think you're going to see devices, things, or wearables um, using OIC code shipping in the second half of this year. Um, you may actually see the OIC framework, though, deployed earlier than that in some applications, which would be communicating mainly with um, devices that are already on the market. So the demo suite, for example, we were showing it talking to a Belkin Wemo smart plug. Um, it was also talking to a Philips Hue light bulb and a Samsung Gear S watch. Uh, so it depends a little bit when you say when you ask when are you going to see OIC devices? Devices probably second half of the year, but you may see the applications before that. And in terms of like external branding, it may not be even this year. If the code the code could be there, but we may not even know it. Is that, that a possibility? Right. That is a possibility. Yes. And are there going to be companies that are aligning or integrating software from multiple frameworks? Like, could I see a device with? Uh, and I, I'm I'm assuming this is the answer is yes with. OIC and, and IOTivity software in there, as well as all scene software. I mean, I would imagine some companies will be integrating both just to make sure it works with all as many devices as possible. I think that's entirely possible. And we already have some examples of companies that have joined both um, who are members of you know, other organizations beyond the two you mentioned. Um, and you'll probably see more of that until eventually things settle down and uh, start to coalesce. This idea of plugins is intriguing to me. Is is this? Um, I, I, and it makes sense. So this is, these are essentially our software bridges between devices that wouldn't have code on it, but it's you. You actually have the the code that does the bridge on the the OIC device um, that may have like a DLNA or a UPnP or, or or what have you. It it has the ability to talk to those devices, um, but they don't have OIC code on them. And this is like a, a central tenet of what you guys are doing. It sounds like. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you look at it from a point of view of trying to make this easy for developers, which is um, one of the, the core things we're aiming for, then that's what you have to do. Uh, I mean, the number of devices on the market right now that use OIC code is zero. Um, and if we're, the developers want to talk to the install base, uh, now there's a cost to this and there are a number of lots of different plugins you have to write and that takes up memory and processing power. But uh, you know the market is fragmented right now and that's just the cost you'll have to pay for some period of time. Uh, but at least we make it easy. We don't ask the developers to go and understand uh, 15 different protocols, uh, or at least not all of them. Uh, there'll be some people who are working on OIC who may have to do that, but they can write those plugins and then everybody else can get to use them. That work only really needs to be done once and then people can pick it up from IOTivity and, and reuse it as often as they want to. So if someone wants to get started with OIC or IOTivity, what are the places to go on the web? Well, um, you can go to openinterconnect.org, which is the, the home of the OIC organization itself. And then the open source project is at iotivity.org. Um, where you can partic download that code and, and participate, contribute there. 
Um, if you go to openinterconnect.org slash join, that gives you all of the information you might need to actually sign up and participate in the organization. Hey, David McCall, thanks for spending some time with me and explaining to me a little bit about OIC and IOTivity and, and helping me understand uh, you know, what you guys are doing and the differences between what you guys are doing and others as well. So thanks a lot for that. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. So that was it. That was my conversation with David McCall. I hope you learned a little bit about where they start and other standards and consortium stop, what their mission is and what they're trying to accomplish. I, I, I know I certainly did. I thank David for his time. Again, you can find out more about them at openinterconnect.org and check them out. You can also listen to more Smart Home shows. Just go to technology.fm. We'll look for the Smart Home show there and check us out. Hey, everyone, once again, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.